0: Everyone, and welcome to the mom hour. I am Sarah Powers here
1: as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. Happy Friday. Happy Happy May. Happy May. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it is hard to believe.
0: It it is for real. (laughs) Tuesday's episode, if you guys caught it, was all about (laughs) the chaos that is May. So we are in it, but we are here today to bring you our monthly voices interview episode. We do these on the first Friday of the month and bring you an interview with an expert or somebody who's got something to say that we, can, we can't do by ourselves. Right? right. So this is kind of fun because uh, last week in episode 205, Megan, you got real about your family finances and your budgeting. I real, real. You yeah. did. You did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked just from our very like we're not experts, we're real people perspective about budgeting and family finances but, what we thought would be cool was to be to pair that with um, a conversation with an expert. And so that is what we have today. I have Natalie Taylor and I chatted with her. She is a certified financial planner, um, and she works with families. She's also a mom of two little boys. So she's right in the stage of life of really, honestly, most of our listeners. Um and she has been a financial planner for fifteen years, but that's looked different for her. She's worked for big firms. She's worked part-time. She's worked full- time. So we also had a really interesting conversation about her own working mom life and finding that balance, which is so tied to what she does with her clients because it's all based around your kind of values, your goals and how the economics fit into that. And I
1: think there's this misconception that you have to have a lot of extra money to, (laughs) like just lying around to have a reason to talk to a financial planner, but that's not the case. That
0: is not the case. And she, that's kind of where we start as we start by dispelling a lot of myths about what a financial planner does and, and what types of people out there say that they're a financial advisor, but really aren't in the comprehensive way that um, Natalie. Are they selling something? They they might be. Okay, (laughs) They they might be. Or they might be compensated through sales in a way that you just might want to ask questions. She gives such practical, actionable advice on whether you are already working with a planner or whether it's not in the cards for you right now. That's okay. You'll still come away from this interview with very specific Budgeting tips, um, saving, and looking at your debt, looking at saving for college. I was just so impressed with um, how actionable what we talk about are. So if this feels like yeah. a topic that's intimidating to you, don't be intimidated. It's really very We're very. Here.
1: You guys are here to make it less intimidating. So yeah, and Love she that.
0: she is great. So Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor Factor.
1: plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
0: Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. Hey, Sarah, thanks for having me. I am so excited about this, and I know that our listeners are too. Um, Hey, before we get going, you and I have something in common, and that is my hometown of Santa Barbara. Why don't you tell everybody um, just a little bit about your family and where you live, because you're not just a financial planner, you are a mom of young kids. (laughs) So tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I am a mom of two little boys, a four-year-old Wally and a six-year-old Charlie. Um, We moved to Santa Barbara along with my husband, Ryan, who works at Sonos here in town. Um, From San Diego. We were in San Diego for the 13 years before that. We've been up here six years.
0: Nice. Well, then we've sort of swapped because I'm down in Orange County, although by way of Chicago and Arizona. So (laughs) I, I left for a long time, but now I'm further south than you are. And our listeners know Santa Barbara's my favorite place in the universe. And so I'm so glad you guys get to live there.
2: It's pretty awesome. I think we also share a love for Jenny Shatzel.
0: We do, although I've only made it through one class. So Jenny was a <laughs> guest on this show. She was a guest on this show. Listeners, you would remember her from an interview about fitness and body confidence back in October. Um, and Natalie, are you a regular Schatzel? I'm like, a
2: regular. I'm a like four to five times a weeker.
0: So you must be in class with my parents. That's so funny. Like my I, parents are regulars.
2: Well, if they're 645ers, then like they're my buddies. I think they're 645.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, we're already off topic. We'll have to talk about that (laughs) offline. Yes. I'm sure you've been in class. That's so funny. It's such a small world. Okay. We are here to talk about financial planning. Um, And I want to start really generally because I think... Um, especially among the stage of life that we are all in, growing our families and kids getting older, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to, quote, have a financial planner. I think that can mean everything to some people uh, from having a good CPA to having somebody giving you stock tips to, I think, what you and I want to talk about, which is actually comprehensive financial planning. Do you want to just give us a baseline definition of of the type of financial planning we're going to talk about today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good question, and it is so confusing, and it's understandably confusing because there's a lot of people out there. There's maybe three hundred and fifty thousand or so people who say that they're some sort of financial advisor, financial Mm -hmm. planner, and have some sort of letters after their name, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people do different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So somebody who says they're a financial advisor, if they work for an insurance company, Mm -hmm. they may do some level of some financial planning, but they are often making their money on selling insurance to you. And so I think arrangements like that can often feel to, you know, regular people like us, like, okay, I thought I was coming for this and now it feels like I was going for that. And I didn't really want insurance. I was really just looking for a financial advisor that would help me through, you know, budgeting and saving for retirement. So I think it's a confusing thing because people do different things under the same title, financial advisor, financial planner. Um, a CPA is much more in the tax realm. Mm-hmm. So that's somebody who is um, legally allowed to pre- prepare your taxes for you. They may give you recommendations like, hey, if you put money in an IRA, that would add a deduction, mm-hmm. um, which is really helpful information. But they're not looking at the whole picture of how much do you need to be saving for retirement and how do you balance that with the fact that you want to send your kids to college and you also have a mortgage and you also have some credit card debt that you're still paying off. They're not really looking at all the pieces mm-hmm. of the puzzle. They're really focused in on that, that tax piece. So they're a really valuable person for you to have, but they're not a financial planner. It's so, Um, it's
0: so interesting that, um, you're right, that people even can use the title, the job title, financial advisor tends to go with, I I mean, from my observation, like you said, um, insurance brokers, sometimes, sometimes people in banking, mm -hmm. um, and, and yet the the offerings are so different. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that is, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say it's intentionally misleading, but it, it could be really um, confusing, like you say.
2: It is really confusing. And there's an alphabet soup of like <laughs> designations that people could have. And it's really hard to know what they're all for. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't I can't say that it's intentionally misleading, but it is misleading. It's really hard for people to understand who does what and what they need so, so should we
0: talk about those letters for a second um i, I am married to a cfp so i i <laughs> have a certified financial planner in my home and he works with uh the chartered financial analysts as well you why don't you break uh-huh. down a few of those alphabet soups and um if you want to just give us your thoughts on the ones to look for or even watch out for if you if you think that's important
2: totally yeah, I mean, we'll start with kind of the um, the one that I would imagine that listeners would need is somebody who is a CFP, which is what your husband is. Mm-hmm. It's what I am. And that means certified financial planner. There's about 70,000, I think, of us in the U.S. And certified financial planner means that they've gone through extensive coursework and taken a major like two day exam um, to prove that they know enough about everything from, um taxes to estate planning to investing to saving for retirement to college planning to budgeting to net worth statements all of the things um they are one of the broadest um designations and so they're going to be able to help you in a multitude of ways including insurance they also Mm -hmm. know about all the kinds of insurance um so if you're looking for somebody looking for somebody who's a cfp is a great place to start Mm -hmm. Um, there's also the one of the ones that you mentioned is CFA, a chartered financial analyst. That's somebody who really specializes in investments. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the average person like doesn't need to work directly with a CFA. Right. Um, they they would much more um, get much more out of working with a CFP. So I don't want to give too many yeah. acronyms because I feel <laughs> like it'll get really crazy yeah. and confusing quickly. But I think that looking for a CFP is a great place to start. And then I think the level underneath that is to look for somebody that maybe is part of what's called an RIA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's is what a, my
0: husband's firm is, an RIA. So I'm familiar with that. But tell our listeners.
2: Yeah. So an RIA, um, I'm like annoyed just having to say all of these acronyms, <laughs> but it's a registered investment advisor. And basically what that means is that it's somebody who can advise you on not only financial planning, but they can help with investments as well if that's something that you need. And they're generally going to have a fiduciary standard when they work with a client. And what that means is that they have to do what's right for you. They have to do not only what's like acceptable, but what the best thing is for you as the client and not just something that's like, sure, Sarah needs an annuity. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll make a commission and she'll be fine. Like that, that is not a standard that I find acceptable. Right. Um, So a fiduciary would have to say, you know what, Sarah could have five or 10 different things, but the thing that's truly best for her, regardless of what I get compensated or anything, like the thing that's best for Sarah and her family based on her goals and her values is, you know, not to buy anything at all and just to work on her budget Um, or to put $500 into a 529 plan that she opens on her own because that's the most cost effective way for her to do it. It's somebody that has to commit to doing the right thing for you and not get clouded by the right thing for them. And, so it, And it's that oversight
0: deal. is is comes from like a, like you said, like an external body of you you may you take that oath or pledge and you are held to those standards um, exactly. as an RIA. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about that, too. Um So, okay, so we won't spend too much time on acronyms, but I think that's really helpful. Looking for a CFP and then understanding what a registered investment advisor does and and what that means from an ethics standpoint. Um, Let's break down some of, I think, the myths and maybe even the fears that um, our listeners might have about seeing a financial planner. I mean, the, the fear number one is, is this person trying to sell me something or is this person the right person. So I hopefully we've kind of addressed that a little bit. But I think some other common ones that come up, um a two that come up for me is is this person might tell me how to spend my money. And I don't know if I want to spend less on Starbucks. Maybe I like going to Starbucks every day. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like maybe that really indulgent vacation we took, I don't I don't want to feel bad about my choices. So that's one. I'll I'll say the other one and then you can kind of pick. The other is and I totally relate to this I'm and I'm married to a CFP is like I don't understand stocks and bonds and mutual funds and interest rates and 529s, and I don't want to feel stupid in somebody's mm-hmm. office. Like I, I'm a college-educated person, I make good money, but I feel embarrassed that I can't even—I don't even know how to have this conversation because I don't understand the terms, and I don't want to feel dumb. So those, I think, are two two pretty common hang-ups. Is that something you see with your clients, or something you can kind of help address for our listeners?
2: Totally. Yeah. So, um, I think on the first one, you know, is this person doing this for me or for themselves? Um, I would say as long as you're working with a CFP and, and I would ask like anybody that you meet with say, do you work with your clients? Um, as, as a fiduciary, like, are you required to do the right thing for me? Mm -hmm. Um, that's a really legit question to ask. They, they will not be offended and they need to, Mm -hmm. they legally need to answer it correctly. So, and they may say, you know, no, in some of my business dealings, I actually don't work as a fiduciary. um They have to tell you that. So I think just asking those questions, are you a CFP and are you a fiduciary in all of the ways that we work together? Those are two really good questions to start with so that you can at least have some level of like comfort that they're going to be doing the right thing for you and not just be trying to sell you something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, a third question that I would add to that, and then we can move to the others yeah. is, um, how do you get paid? Yeah. Um, I think this is a really important question to ask and it's not in bad taste. Like Mm -hmm. we are used to being asked that question. And I love when clients or potential clients ask me that because you wouldn't like, if somebody gave you a new patio set, you wouldn't just sit there and wonder like, Hmm, I wonder how I'm going to pay for this. Like there would be a price to it. And you would know what you were getting. Like, this is how things work. So I would ask like, how do you get paid? And again, they're legally required to tell you how they get paid. Um, and they may offer, like, they may charge a financial planning fee for giving you advice. And although those fees can be a little bit unpleasant to pay because they're usually over a thousand dollars, um, it's also a really straightforward relationship. Right. You're so paying that, for you the know, advice. that like, you know, the CFP that is working for me is giving me advice based on what's right for me. They're not in it for a product sale. They're not trying to sell me something to make their money back for the time they've spent with me. Like, I'm paying them for their time and they're investing time in me. Yep. And that's what our relationship is. So it's a very transparent way mm-hmm. to work with someone. Yeah, I love that. And then the other question, um, remind me of the other questions. Oh yeah, so,
0: so just a couple of hangups. One being um, somebody's gonna judge me about how I spend my money. And two oh, yes. being, I don't understand, I don't understand economics and the stock market and mutual funds. And I don't want to feel dumb. Those are kind of the two other common hangups, I think. So yeah, whichever one jumps out at you or both.
2: Yeah. So with the, um, don't want to feel guilty. There are all types of people as financial planners and financial advisors. And some may have more of like an approach of making you feel a little bit less than awesome about some (laughs) of the spending decisions that you make. And you can usually tell that in a first meeting with Mm -hmm. a, with a potential, professional that you want to work with um you can tell if they're going to be judgy if they're going to come off as like guilting you um about stuff or if they really care about like um taking the approach of my job is to help you live the life that you want to live and Mm -hmm. make sure that you're doing the right things with your money both now and later so that you can do that you can kind of pick up on that vibe and Mm -hmm. just if you have like a a bad experience with one cfp um i would say try another one and maybe even try a third because they're all people and Mm -hmm. they all have their own ways of dealing with with their clients. Yeah. And there are enough incredible CFPs out there that really are not judgmental and they just want to help. Yeah. Um a lot of people thankfully go into this profession and um, just like I did, like I was looking at doing nonprofit work and then it turned out that being a CFP and I'm also a behavioral financial advisor like it was a way for me to serve people. Like mm-hmm. that that is my mission is to help as many people as possible. And there's enough of us do-gooders out mm-hmm. there that are CFPs that you can find somebody who really feels good to work with. Um, I love that. And then the thing about not feeling like you know what you should know, you know, I would say there are some financial advisors and financial planners out there that feel like they need to earn their fee and the way that they earn their fee is to be smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And they kind of make you feel it and it sucks, regardless yeah. of how much you know. yeah. Um, and again, that's just a vibe and like a an approach that they take, but not everybody is like that. yeah. Um, and I will also say that like, so many, like I've worked with the gamut of clients I mean i've been doing this for fifteen years, and I've worked with over a thousand families individually and then tens of thousands more through some of the other work that I've done on a corporate level and very smart professional people don't know the basics yeah. about yeah i r a s or how do you save for retirement yeah. or when does retirement happen, or you know what are all these acronyms and what does all of this mean, and I have found that um women women are are sometimes better at asking questions mm-hmm. um, and learning, but they sometimes are hesitant to do it because mm-hmm. they don't want to sound dumb. Mm-hmm. and um, I've sometimes had clients, even men like ask to meet with me individually because they don't want to look dumb in front of their wife interesting. and so they'll ask me the same questions that a woman would ask as well, um, but they don't want to look dumb in front of somebody. Yeah. so I, I think it's a really, really common feeling yeah. of like I don't want to look dumb and if they're talking over my head, like I, I want to raise my hand and be like, I have no idea what you're talking right. about, but I feel weird doing yeah. it. A good CFP is happy to walk through anything you yeah. need to know. And really they should, like it's your money and you need to feel ownership right. and you need to feel empowerment over the decisions that you're making. And they're ultimately your decisions. Right. So they're there to help you make great decisions, um, but it's not their decision to make. Right. So um, I would just encourage you that like, so many people lack that basic knowledge because it's not part of the curriculum yeah. of what we learn yeah. and you're not alone. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, and it does sound like when you find the right person, just like I'm thinking when you find the right, you know, health coach or therapist or personal trainer or any, any of these experts that we seek out to support us with our goals, you kind of know they should ma- they shouldn't make you feel dumb. <laughs> they should honor your goals and your values, and you should kind of, you kind of will know when you have that person and, and when you don't. And I love um, your advice to try again. Um, I think the financial industry in particular has this thing where our BS meters are up high, like our, yes. so we, um, we feel like we need to have extra defenses around us so that we don't get, you know, scammed or cheated or whatever. And I think it's so helpful to hear about how many really, truly, altruistic and, you know, great CFPs there are out there who's, who don't have ulterior motives. I think that's important to hear because I think with the news and the media, you know, the the financial industry doesn't have the reputation for being so honest. And so I think, I, I think you're right. I think those people are out there um, and it may require a little bit of trust and a little bit of trying to find the right person. So I really love that.
2: Totally. Um, I, I would say there's also like validity in having your guard up. Yeah. Um, because it is an industry that like product sales mean commission in a lot of cases yeah. or fees in a lot of cases. So I think that people are wise to have their guard up and to wonder like, how is this person getting paid? And are they really in it for what's right for right. me? And are they a fiduciary? And are they educated? Like, do they have the experience they need to be able to help someone like me? And am I going to be an A client for them? Or am I going to be like, a small fish in their big pond. You know, these are all really valid concerns, but I think it's worth the time and effort to find somebody who's great because there are a lot of really great um, CFPs out there. I love
0: that. Well, you alluded to your history a little bit and how you came to this, this role. Let's talk about that briefly. Um, Just how you arrived um, at what you're doing now. And you also are a mom of two little kids. I believe you told me that you quit a job to kind of blow things up and here you are. So why don't you tell that story?
2: I did. Yeah. So I've been doing, um, I've been a financial planner for 15 years. It was my first real job um, after being a waitress at Islands Restaurant. Um, This was my first real job. um, And I fell in love with it, but I was at first in one of those sort of more salesy Mm -hmm. Um, offices. I lasted four and a half months. And I was like, this is not, this is not how I want to do business. I want to find somebody who will mentor me, who will care about people and teach me about how to help people through this profession. And I did. And I was, um, I've so enjoyed my career. Um, When I became a mom almost seven years ago, it was really tough for me identity-wise because I had to leave the planning practice that I had been a part of for so many years Partially because I became a mom, and partially because we moved to Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and my practice was in San Diego, and um, it was it was difficult identity-wise, but I worked through that over months and maybe a couple of years, and I found an incredible opportunity to work for a financial planning startup called LearnVest. and so I worked part time for them for three and a half years, and that was like magic. Mm-hmm. Like my work was so meaningful, and we were changing things in my industry, and it was just like. And it was part-time, so mm-hmm. I still felt like I was getting to be the mom that I wanted to be. And then I was offered like a director-level role, and um, we had since been acquired by Northwestern Mutual. So being a director at a Fortune 50 company was mm-hmm. a really big opportunity, and in order to do it, I had to go full-time. Mm-hmm. So I made that choice to go full-time, and for a little while, it was okay, um, but ultimately what happened, um, my husband started traveling almost every week for oh, work gosh, as well, yeah. and even though I was working full-time as a director for a fortune 50 company, I'm still the anchor parent. Like sure. I'm still the one. And I feel like most times as moms, we are regardless yep. of our, whose career we have many, is like, many
0: many full-time working moms in our audience. And they're all nodding along right now. Yes, so, and that's totally. not to throw any dads under the bus at all. It just no. somehow it is the way things fall.
2: I have a super awesome husband. Like he's a great partner. It's just like his hamster wheel, like doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't run the way that mine does. Like, I think that's, A gift and a curse that many of us women have. Yes, and so he's not thinking about like, oh, if we go on a date, we have to find a sitter, and the sitter is doing that. You know, like, yes, those just things—they're not on his radar. Um, so, and just having to ask is like a task anyway. So I know y'all are with me. Yep. Um, Yep. So I, I, I really burned myself out. Um, in this two-year period that I was working full-time, I wasn't the mom I wanted to be. I wasn't the wife I wanted to be. I just felt like I was barely keeping my head above water. And I started to have a ton of health issues from it. My husband actually was super stressed out too. He had a heart attack scare. Like oh my goodness. Stuff just kind of went haywire. Yeah. And for us in the way that we live our lives and the way that I advise clients, like values, you've mentioned values a couple times, Sarah, and I <laughs> love that you have because those are really, really important. Um, not only to the financial decisions we make, but to the like life decisions that we make. And for my husband and I, we have six core values. Um, they're family, health, community, generosity, meaningful work, and adventure. Um, I love and that. that's And that's what we use to drive our decisions. And this new opportunity was really, this work opportunity was really meaningful. And it was an adventure to go get to do this thing and work on this project. Um, but as it turned out, once we got a couple years into it, we found ourselves one for six for mm-hmm. those core values that were important to us. Our family life was not great. We were sending the signal to the rest of our extended family that we were too busy for them because honestly, we were. Mm-hmm. Um, we had no community because we were super flakes because my husband yeah. was traveling all the time and I was exhausted. Um, I was not being the kind of mom that I wanted to be. We were both suffering health wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like there was no room for adventure. We yeah. had saved for years to go on a 10 year anniversary trip. The, the time came, we had the money in an account. I was too exhausted to mm-hmm. even think about where to go. Mm-hmm. And so, honestly, my best friend planned the trip for me because oh, I was wow. like, I don't have capacity for this. Mm-hmm. So we just found ourselves miserable and we were making a lot of money at that time, but it, we were miserable. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I was going to quit my job. My husband changed roles so that he would travel less. And we just like reoriented our whole life mm-hmm. around these values. And finally, we're at this place where we're super content again. We have a lot less money than we did, but we feel like, super content and it was just because we got out of whack with our values so I love that and now
0: your practice is do you see individual clients and I know you do speaking and you've got a great online presence what is how does the work and mom cocktail as I sometimes call it (laughs) look for you right now
2: (laughs) yeah some drinks are stronger than others exactly Um, (laughs) like some
0: taste just right some you know yeah leave you wanting more of one or the other
2: totally yes so um uh so right now, um, it's, it's kind of evolving, but my general mission is what it always has been, but I've been super focused on it, which is how can I most efficiently and effectively help as many people as possible in a tangible way with the limited hours that I'm willing to commit to Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that has presented like if opportunities, um, if opportunities pass that filter, then I say yes. And Mm -hmm. if they don't pass that filter, then I say no. Um, I was offered a really awesome full-time role yesterday and I was like nope I'm super not working full-time so no thanks if you need somebody like to fill in x amount of hours I have that to give but I have no more than that to give so um so yeah so I've been speaking um I'm speaking at a conference this summer with Rachel Hollis and I'm going to be talking to 19,000 people, which oh will be my the gosh. biggest audience I've ever done, which will be really fun.
0: See, there's adventure for you and meaningful That's work right. in yes. less hours. Okay, totally. so we have to drill in, drill down into this values thing before we take our, our advertising break, because you mentioned it a couple of times. And when I hear you talk about your family's six core values, it just makes these decisions like, not that they're easy decisions, but they become simpler. And so yes. I would love for you to talk about that exercise that you walk through with financial planning clients and, and how I've seen your values workbook. Um, is that something that our listeners or something similar that our listeners could go check out after they listen to this? Or you'll, you, I'm, sure you'll, I'm sure you'll tell us, but I'd love you to talk more about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I did just create a values toolkit um, that walks through like what are core values? How do you use them? Why do they matter? Um, how to figure out your own um like an exercise to figure out what yours are and then how to use them once you know what they are so um you can either go to my website natalieandtaylor.com or i'm sure we could put a link in yeah the we show can notes. look
0: at a link in the show notes absolutely awesome. i didn't want to promise we'd give it away if it was proprietary so yeah. i didn't mean no, to no put worries. you on the spot
2: no not at all not at all uh, honestly the more people that see like the work is better yeah. so i i would love to share it like that's yeah, that okay. would be awesome. So
0: talk talk about that, like maybe how it would work if people came even to see you or if you sat down with a family. Why are those values important and what do they have to do with, you know, things like saving money for college or whatever?
2: Yeah, great question. So um, knowing your core values is is helpful because it is like an additional filter for all of the, the decisions you're making. So it can be big things like career decisions, like the ones that I made and my husband made. Um, it can be small things like budgeting. So for example, community is one of our values and it's a really common value. Um, I've seen a lot of people say, okay, we need to reduce our budget and dining out always feels like one of those, like Starbucks and dining out. (laughs) I feel like are the like low hanging fruit a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so people cut out their dining out budget and then they find themselves completely miserable. And you know, not only is it miserable to have to have to cook and feel like you can't ever go out, but a lot of people experience community by going out. Mm -hmm. They'll have drinks with friends for happy hours, maybe pre kids, I don't, mm-hmm. I haven't been to a happy hour in a lot of years, <laughs> but, um, but they'll experience community through going out or they'll experience like, re- like relationship by having a date night, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, and it's important to their, whatever relationship they're in. And then they say, okay, no more dining out. And then they're miserable. Mm-hmm. So if you know what your value is, then you can find a more cost-effective way to honor that value in your life. Mm-hmm um, which will be something that you can stick with. Mm -hmm. So maybe you do reduce your dining out budget and instead you host like Sunday night potlucks at your house and Mm -hmm. everybody brings something and it's way more cost effective. Um, but you still get to honor that community Mm -hmm. thing. In fact, that's what my husband and I do. We invite one family over, um, every Sunday night just to like share dinner with us and we keep it really easy, but it's a way that we can honor that community thing on a smaller that. budget. So I
0: love that and I'll be up in Santa Barbara in June so I'll just expect my invite yes, to come Sunday on over. night dinner.
2: <laughs> That's <kidding>. right.
0: <laughs> no, I really love that and I think either you I heard you say this or I saw it in the values toolkit but that also is helpful for sticking to goals because um I'm, I I'm just going to compare it to eating and nutrition like if you you give yourself this structure that doesn't make sense with your lifestyle it's so much harder to stick to goals. And I would think that with spending, it's the same way that we're able to stick with spending goals so much easier if they align with our values and our, and our, you know, how we like to live our life. So you're, you're not only happier, you're actually able to achieve the long-term stuff because it has staying power. You're not going to, you know, fizz out because it, you know, you're miserable, like you said.
2: Exactly. It's like every yes has a no. Like Mm -hmm. we're, we're in a stage of life, a season of life where with our time and our money, like Anything that we commit to, whether financially or with our time, we're going to be trading off something else. Like if I'm working more, I'm less with my kids. If I'm more with my kids, I'm making less money. Or Mm -hmm. if I choose to go out, you know, I mean, there's so many trade-offs and having your values and then also your goals, um, but having your values um, really clear gives you a really good reason for the yeses, Mm -hmm. which gives you really real um, acceptance of the no's.
0: Yeah, that is so well put.
1: That's from our ourplace.com code momour. Sarah, our sponsor Haya Health makes a kids daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? The deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults.
0: Okay, I am back with Natalie Taylor. And um, this is so good, Natalie, I'm getting so much out of this discussion. Um, And I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute, because we had the opportunity to kind of dovetail this conversation between you and me with um, episode 205, which our listeners would have heard it dropped April 23rd, So like a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was it was both Megan and me, but it was really Megan sharing kind of pretty personally what's going on with her and her budget lately, two years post-divorce. Um, and, you know, Megan and I, our whole thing on the show is we're not experts. So we were never going to get on a podcast episode and give really specific budgeting and money-saving tips from an expert position, but what we always can do is kind of share where we are and what has worked for us. So one, I would just love to hear any thoughts you had about that episode. I think most of our listeners probably have heard it by now. Um, And then two, maybe we can pick a couple things to bring you in on as an expert. I know Megan talked about, you know, revising her budget and some credit card debt strategies. So I would love to hear just your general thoughts and maybe then we can pick a couple things to dialogue about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, overall, I love. I loved the episode and I loved um, just Megan's candor. I mean, I think that's something that your listeners um, really love about both of you, that you just like, you put it out there and you share what you're really going through and what's working and what's not working. Um, and I loved her ability to just like look back and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't look back to judge herself or to feel bad about her decisions. She looked back almost like a detective to just say like, what happened and why did it happen that way? And should it keep happening that way? And mm-hmm. what could I change based on what's important to me now. Um, and I think that's so, so important, um, not only for yourself, but with, you know, if you've finances in a partnership, mm-hmm. that if you guys are going through a similar process of like, okay, where are we now? Mm-hmm. It is really helpful to look back and say, where have we been? But it's really critical that you do it with a detective's hat on and not with like a guilting or shaming yeah, or judgment. judgment hat on um, for you and for your partner. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to look back and be like, Ugh, I can't believe you got us into credit card debt. You right. know, that that's not, it's not productive. It's right. not helpful. Um, But what is helpful is having that knowledge of like, okay, now that I have perspective on it and now that I'm out of that season, I can see what was going on and I can see like, the logic of how I got to the things that I was doing and whether and now I can make a choice whether that's the logic that I want to use moving forward or not. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love so that.
2: I, I loved that about her, um, just her her willingness to look back and learn from it. Um, and I also think, especially as moms, like this idea of the changing of seasons, like mm-hmm. I am a planner. This is what I do for a living. Yeah. I like looking forward. I'm an Enneagram one. Oh, like, me too. I, no
0: wonder we like each other. So yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I think that we can, you know, motherhood can really throw you for a loop when you're a planner um, because you can't plan when your kid's going to wake up or when they're going to transition from two naps to one nap mm-hmm. or the fact that like Wednesdays are early day or Thursdays are early day <laughs> and your whole life works except for like minimum day yeah. <laughs> um, or that upper graders for some reason have to get out just a few minutes later than the lower graders yeah. enough that you have this weird amount of time. Like there's so many things that you don't control um, as a mom and, and the seasons change um pretty quickly you yeah. know they change really fast when you have new newborns yes um and then i think the changing slows a little bit but it still exists right and it's really important to recognize like okay what season are we in um career wise mom wise relationship wise life wise and what yeah. does success look like um in our life in, in this season right. it may not be that you can be on track for you know saving for college it may be that you say, you know what, for the first five years of my kid's life, I'm not going to save for college because I've chosen to work minimally or maybe not work at all. Right. Our cash flow is tight. And I, then when I do go back to work part time, when you know, my littlest one is in kindergarten, I will dedicate a portion of my income towards college. And that's our college plan. Right. That's a great college plan. You know, don't feel guilty that you can't do it at this moment. Right figure out what works for you in the season and do the best that you can given the season that you're in.
0: That I mean that is pretty much like that sums up our general advice on this podcast about anything is like number 1 things change and evolve. So be it's okay that you're not doing everything today and then what you just said, figure out what works for you in this season. Don't feel guilty that it's not all of the other things that either other people are doing or that you could be doing. And just do the best you can within those parameters. So I could not could not have said it better. I'm glad that came through, too, in um, in that episode that we did. And I'm glad that we get to kind of bring you in now as the expert. Um, I know you had some thoughts about credit card debt strategy. And you don't feel like you have to address Megan's specific um, issue. But for our listeners in general, like wh- how, that's a common um, thing that couples would come in with is credit card debt. Is there general tips that you can give? Or is it something that's really specific, again, to each family's values and and where they are in that moment?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I I think there are some um, specific things that can work for the vast majority of people who have credit card debt. I think one of the things is letting go of the guilt and the shame of Mm -hmm. having it if you do carry that. Some Mm -hmm. people don't. You know, some people are like, you know what, I had a medical bill and I had to put it on a credit card and I did what I could do so that my kid could get a cast. And like, that's what we had to do, so not everybody carries guilt and shame about credit card debt, but a lot of people do mm-hmm. so if you do, I think it's important to like give yourself a clean slate and say, "I can move from today forward mm-hmm. um when you're paying off credit card debt, I think one of the most critical things that people miss is that you need to stop using your cards while you're paying them off
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's not because you know, credit card debts are the wor- credit card debt is um, or credit using credit cards is the worst thing in the world um, or that, you know, they're the devil like they can be used well, um, but you have to get on top of them again. Mm-hmm. And so when you're going through that process of getting on top of them again, I would say take them out of your wallet and disconnect them from Amazon mm-hmm. um, and and stop using them so that mm-hmm. you can get clarity on like, okay, I owe this much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to pay back this much right. instead of, well, I'm still using them. So I owe 5,000, but then I, you know, I spend another thousand, but then I'm going to make a $1,500 payment. Right. It gets really cloudy, really fast. Right. Um, and the rewards points are not worth the interest that you're paying. Mm-hmm. So I would say, hold off on using the cards while you're paying off the debt. Once you have it paid off completely, Then you can go with a clean slate and say, "Okay, I'm going to use credit card debt strategically to get points, but I'm going to absolutely make sure that I pay off the entire balance every month. You may even want to pay it off every week. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure that it doesn't creep up again
0: yeah i love that those are really really specific concrete tips how about um some of the budgeting stuff i know megan talked about we we laughed about um, and we see this in our business budget actually that there's like no normal month like there's you know <laughs> like you keep waiting for like and i'm an enneagram one as well so i like i like averages i like data i like like to see trends and and that's not how life works right like there's no month that is normal that you can truly plan for so with your clients What are some kind of core budgeting tips that, that help, uh, just acknowledge that life is unpredictable and especially in this season, but yet still have kind of a a budget system that is helpful.
2: Totally. So I'm a big fan of, of creating what I call like built-in release valves in your budget so that your budget can like stretch a little bit. It's like the difference between like the jeans with no stretch and the (laughs) jeans with stretch. Um, like why would you ever wear jeans with no stretch? <laughs> um so so that's what you need to do in your budget, too. And as you become a mom, as you maybe have another person, like another grown up um, partner, spending out of the same pot of money, um if you have a house um that you own, like all of these things add to the likelihood that you will not have a normal month right because there's just so much going on. So <clears throat> a couple of ways to do that. One is, um, working in, and this is one of my favorite things, but working in a fun account, um, into your budget. So a fun account is a separate savings account. It's not meant to get huge over time. It's mm-hmm. meant to build for a little while and then you spend it mm-hmm. and then build for a little while and then you spend it. Um, and what that is, is to say, okay, well, we're going to, um, dedicate in our budget, $200 a month that goes into the fun account or mm-hmm. whatever that number is for you. It could be $20. It could be $2,000. Um, or maybe it's a portion of every bonus, Okay. you know, on a monthly basis, we're not going to save into our fun account, but every time we get a bonus, we're putting, you know, 50% of it or 10% of it or mm-hmm. whatever your, your number is into the fun account. What that fun account does for you is it says, okay, I've got a little pot of money. It's like an emergency fund for fun stuff. I love it. That like, if I want to fun. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I like that emergency fun. Yeah. Um, I need to have fun and it's <laughs> urgent. <laughs> um so if in an emergency you need to have fun you have money in the fun account to do it so it it provides this little release valve so that like i was not planning on a girl's weekend but given that my friends are doing it and it's going to be super fun and it's local and it's not going to be that much but it's definitely more than would fit in the normal budget i'm going to take a few hundred out of my fun account and i can do it Mm -hmm. or um it can be something for your kiddos or something for your spouse but it allows you to have like a little bit of flexibility Mm It takes some forethought to set yourself up for that. So you Mm -hmm. have to decide, are we going to save monthly into the fun account or are we going to save, you know, some of windfalls like extra money that we Mm -hmm. get into the fun account? But it's a great little release valve to have. I love Um, it too,
0: because um, it also, like we were talking about values, making decisions easier. I feel like this would also make decisions about say a girl's weekend. If there was plenty in the fun account, the girl's weekend becomes a no brainer. If you just had a lot of fun and it was low, You still may choose to do the girls weekend, but you may choose to, you know, opt out of the really expensive dinner, or you would be faced with taking it from another part of your budget, but you would at least be clear. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't wonder where is this coming from? So I feel like it would allow for those decision making, you know, moments to be a little bit clearer.
2: Exactly. And it allows you to spend more guilt free because if you were to go on the girls weekend and you had what you thought was enough in your checking account and you spent money on it. Um, and then you realized, oh, shoot, it turned out that was my grocery budget for the last week of the month. And I just spent it and I didn't realize I did. Um, then it creates stress and yeah. then you're at risk for accumulating credit card debt. Yeah. So the fun account allows you to like really enjoy it and know that it's truly extra. I The way that I think about it sometimes is like I will sometimes as a mom, like between work meetings and um, travel and picking up kids and all the kids activities. Like I will sometimes have these odd bits of time. Mm-hmm. like. 12 minutes you know like I'm sitting in the line waiting to pick them up for 12 minutes or whatever and I wish I could just throw those minutes into a (laughs) like pot and then use them later yeah um but I can't do that because that's not how time works yeah but money actually does work that way um you can throw a little extra into a pot and then use it later when you like really have something good to use Mm -hmm. it
0: on I love that I think I cut you off so um other other budgeting tips in case I jumped in there.
2: No, no worries. so, um, other release valves that are important, one of them is having an emergency fund, um so that if it's like a kid broke his arm and you weren't expecting it, um which happens in our house all the time. <laughs> um the emergency fund is a great way to have the money ready so that you can pay for that expense and not blow your budget
0: mm-hmm.
2: um and then the last one I'll say is there's these I'll call them like non monthly expenses, okay, um but all of those things that don't happen monthly, but they happen mm-hmm. like. Holiday gifts and visiting family for certain hol- you know, certain holidays or occasions, summer travel, mm-hmm. um, auto insurance that mm-hmm. maybe renews semi annually or annually. Yeah. if you don't you know, if you have homeowners insurance yeah. that you pay annually Prop- that's not. our
0: property taxes are that way. And property taxes, and big. <laughs> yeah.
2: So having um I, and I don't want you to have a million accounts, but having an account that's just for those non monthly expenses, like yes. figure out how much they are every year. And then divide that by 12 and save that amount into your non-monthly expense account. It basically makes those non-monthlies into monthly expenses, which you're actually able to make your life more predictable, which rarely happens. We rarely can do this, but we
0: we do that in our family. Exactly that. So we have a property taxes one and a holiday one or like Christmas gifts. And then, um, in different phases, we have done that for travel as well. Cause our travel happens in big, we have my in-laws are on the East coast and it happens in big chunks. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we have done exactly that. And I totally agree. I can, I can vouch for the fact that it just, it doesn't feel, I mean, I have to write a really big check twice a year for property taxes. I live in Orange County. (laughs) It's no joke. We moved from Arizona and you're like, oh, yep. That's why people move to Arizona Mm -hmm. from Southern California. Um, but because it's been set aside monthly, it doesn't have the sting of the actual dollars on the check. Exactly. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Um okay, so let's see. Um I would love to spend a little bit of time on some of these listener questions and I think some more things about budgeting and decision making will come out through these questions. So if you're okay with that, I'd love to dive in a little bit to some yeah. questions we got from our listeners. Um so we got several about um the pros and cons of paying off your mortgage sooner versus later. And then obviously, like you said, every yes there's a corresponding no, so versus you know, using that money to do other things, either, you know, save in other ways or whatever it is. Is there, again, it's one of those things I I have to think is so unique to each family, but maybe you have some general thoughts.
2: Yeah, I, I do have some thoughts. It's such a good question. And I love that it's being asked because it's such a responsible thing to do to pay <laughs> our, off your mortgage. Our so, listeners <laughs> are very responsible. I'm, I'm super just impressed that somebody asked that question. I think there was multiple people that were like interested in that question. So good on you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so paying off your mortgage is a really important goal, um, but it's not one of the first ones to tick off the list. Okay. So I would say make sure that you have an emergency fund. Okay. Um, which should generally be if you're if you're a mom, it should probably be six months of income. Okay. Um, so if it takes five thousand a month to make your, your family work, then you should have five thousand times six. Mm-hmm. So thirty thousand dollars in emergency fund, it sounds like a lot. Yeah. But if you own a home and you have little kiddos running around, yeah. like those those bills can be big mm-hmm. and they can be really unexpected. And your emergency fund, just like your fun account. Um, and your non-monthlies, like those are the those are the three things that are gonna really protect you from ever falling into credit card debt or going deeper right. into credit yeah, card debt. Yeah, that's
0: so true. Can I ask, a, I'm gonna jump in and ask a question about emergency funds. If somebody doesn't have one at all, mm-hmm. then obviously that number is daunting. Yep. Um, if somebody, like let's say that, You know, they're starting to, their cash flow is starting to be a little bit easier to manage and they're wanting to build an emergency fund. Would that be something you would just put and try and contribute to monthly until it got to that six month mark and just sort of gradually build it up? Are there other strategies to say, no, this is an urgent, you know, this is an emergency, this is an urgent priority. (laughs) So we're going to, you know, table some other things and really prioritize this emergency fund. I'm curious if somebody's overwhelmed by that number, what would be a Mm -hmm. first step to starting to build it?
2: A couple things there. So one, um, a first step is to try to get to one month of income. So if you're, you know, if it's 5,000 a month, I'm just using that because it's a round number um, then try to get to 5,000. And that's a huge accomplishment. Then try to get to two months and then try to get to three months. I would say that, like, if you don't have any emergency savings at all, it's probably one of the primary goals you should be working on with any extra dollars that you have. OK. Um, and credit card debt goes alongside with that just mm-hmm. because credit card debt is so expensive yeah. um, because interest rates are so nutty yeah. um, on credit card debt. So if you're wondering what goals to work for and you do have credit card debt and you don't have an emergency fund, maybe start 50-50 with any okay. of the extra money that you have between those two goals. Okay. Um, once you make some good headway and maybe you're at like two months of, of emergency fund or maybe even after one month of emergency fund, if you have a retirement plan at work, um, I would make sure that you're getting started on that goal as well, mm-hmm. just because it's such a big one and the earlier you start, the better. Right, right. But those three, credit card debt, emergency fund and retirement, if you're you know, just starting from scratch or um, close to starting from scratch and you have a little bit of extra money, those three are great priorities to put okay. in place I love how how
0: um, clear and actionable those are, and i didn't mean to hijack the question about paying down a mortgage, so why don't you jump back in there? I just got excited.
2: no, not at all um, and that was I think that was really helpful discussion because it moves forward on the paying off your mortgage question as well so um, before putting any extra dollars towards your mortgage, I would recommend that you um pay off all credit card debt because it costs way more than your mortgage interest rate. Mm -hmm. Um, I would make sure that you have your emergency fund in place. And I would make sure that you're saving at a decent clip towards retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a good rule of thumb is that ultimately between the employer contributions, if you have an employer that contributes and your contributions, you should try to be saving a total of 15% of your income towards retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't freak out. That's a big number. And Mm -hmm. most people don't save that much. So start with 1% mm-hmm. and then agree to bump it every six months or mm-hmm. every year by 1% or anytime you get a promotion or a raise, bump it a- another percent and you will find yourself at 15% mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. So don't freak out and stick your head in the sand right. and say, I'm not saving for a right. right. time don't do 15% nothing. is ridiculous. Right. I right. hate you. Um, like just start somewhere. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're maybe at like 10% headed towards 15%, Maybe you want to start paying a little bit extra on your mortgage. But the truth is, with mortgage rates being so low and the fact that you can deduct the interest on Mm -hmm. your mortgage in a lot of cases on your taxes, um, that's not always true. But in some cases, Mm -hmm. it's true. um, Your retirement money is probably going to grow at a faster clip Mm -hmm. than the amount of your mortgage interest rate. So let's say that your mortgage interest rate is four and a half percent. And um, I think a reasonable assumption for long-term like retirement money would be 7% a year. Mm-hmm. You can either save four and a half percent or you can make seven percent mm-hmm. with that extra dollar.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. so making an extra, making seven percent makes more sense than saving four and a half. Yeah. So you just wanna like try to think about that trade-off and figure yeah. out how to most efficiently and effectively use that dollar. Um, that said, if you're like, already saving 10 or 15% towards retirement you're like really on track for that you're on track for college maybe and you've got your emergency fund you've got your credit card um debt handled you're completely out of credit card debt maybe it does make sense to start making a few extra payments right, right. um i think a great goal is to try to have your mortgage paid off by retirement if not sooner
0: okay that is i i think that's a really good summed it up in a nutshell
2: um awesome.
0: super helpful What about, we had a few questions about saving for college. The one that caught my eye um, came from Jesse and then we did have some others. So we've heard of a 529 plan, but maybe you can quickly explain what that is. Cause I, Mm -hmm. again, I don't like to assume everybody knows what the numbers are. Um, But we also had a question about um, saving for our kids in ways that might be more flexible if they choose not to go to college Mm -hmm. or if the 529 savings isn't gonna be quite enough. Is there something else we could be doing? So that's like kind of like three questions rolled up in one I'll just let you tackle it.
2: Yeah, so um starting with um what is a 529 plan? Um it's a type of college savings plan. It can actually be used um just recently there was a change so it can actually be used for K through 12 as well. Um but it's a it's a way to save and tax-wise it works similarly to the way that a Roth IRA works. Mm-hmm. Um so the money that you put in it, you don't you don't generally get <clears throat> excuse me. You don't generally get a tax um benefit from that. However, some states will actually <clears throat> sorry, allow you to deduct the contribution on your state tax return. Okay. Which means you pay a little less in state tax okay. if you use a 529 plan. Like California doesn't do that. Okay. But other states do. Okay. So hopefully you live somewhere where they they offer a little tax benefit. Um, you can put a boatload into 529 plans. They don't, they don't generally have a limit,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um, to how much you can put in, or they have limits that are ridiculously large, like $250,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a very large amount. So you don't have to worry about maxing out a 529 plan. Like they won't let you put more dollars in. They're happy to take your dollars. Okay. Um, as the money's growing, you don't have to pay tax on it. And then if it's used for actual, like legit qualified expenses, like Mm -hmm. college expenses, um, the money comes out completely tax-free, right. which is really cool. Right. Um, so that's kind of how a five twenty-nine plan works. Um, it there are um, there are limitations on how how you can use the money for it to be tax-free and without penalty. Um, all basically all reasonable college expenses are in that bucket.
0: Does that include like um, living expenses and things like yeah, that? Yes, okay. and
2: like um, books and all that stuff. Like, yes, um, a computer for college. Like you can generally get all the things that you would need for college from that 529 plan. And now you can actually cover some, um, primary education and, and secondary education sort of, um, expenses as well. Okay. If you use it for something other than education though, cause that was something that somebody had yeah. asked, like, what if I want to save for my kids to have a house someday or start, or a, business. start a business? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, then a 529 plan is probably not the best place to save. Um, In that case, you might want to open, it depends on how much control you want your kiddo to have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's hard to tell when they're four, like what they're going to be like (laughs) when they're 18. Right now, I'm very concerned, but hopefully (laughs) things smooth out. Um, But uh, if if you want to like legitimately like give the money to your kid, no matter what they're like as an 18 year old or a 21 year old in some states, you can open what's called a UGMA, M, UGMA or a UTMA account. Okay. It's a uniform transfer to Minors Act account. Okay. Or a, a uniform gift to Minors Act account. Okay. Basically, it's an account that you open in your kiddo's name and you're taking care of it for them while, while they are getting to the age of 18, the age of majority. Okay. But when they're 18, the money's theirs and they have, you have no control over it. Okay. So it's risky in that way yeah. because they can, and you can't change the age and say like, well, could we wait until they're like 30? Right. Um, you can't. It's the way that the, the account is set up that like, as soon as they hit the age of majority, right. which in most states is 18, right. then they get access to the money. So that is a good option. It's just, I want to be really clear that like, it's not your money, it's right. theirs right. and they can do whatever they want when yeah. they hit that age.
0: No, I think that's really super helpful. Um, last quick listener question. Um, and this one, I think probably will have the most cut and dried answer. And that is, um, what about saving for retirement when it is not offered through an employer or you're self-employed or whatever? I'm sure this comes up a lot because there's so many different employment arrangements nowadays. Um, is there, do you have a recommendation for that?
2: Yeah, so this one depends on how much. It's funny that um, this one might be the least cut. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) um, It kind of depends on how much money you make and whether you are working for an employer or whether you're working for yourself or you have your own business because you'll have different retirement plans available to you depending on what your situation is. So let's say that you make, between you and your partner, let's just keep things really easy. Let's say you're making under 100 grand a year um, and you work for an employer, but they don't offer a 401k plan um, or any sort of retirement plan, it's likely that a Roth IRA is going to be a great place for you to start. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you put money in after tax, but it grows completely tax free. Mm -hmm. And then when you get it out at retirement, you pay no tax on Mm it. Um, so, so it's a pretty great starting point. Um, Roth IRAs, I say like, if you make under a certain amount of money, because there are limitations to like, if you make $300,000 a year, you don't qualify for a Roth IRA. Okay. Okay, so it's just something to know. And you can like Google those like Mm -hmm. income limit for Roth IRA 2019. Right. Right. And you can find out really easily um, what those limits are. And they're different whether you're single or or married. Um, But that is often a good place to start if you qualify.
0: And that is, again, just sort of one uh, one example of how seeing a comprehensive financial planner is you wouldn't have to Google that. You would be seeing somebody whose job it is to stay up on those limits. And I know the laws change every single year. I mean, like all the time on different things. So that's one of the kind of peace of mind elements, I think, of having a dedicated planner is it's no longer your job to stay on top of all of those ins and outs of things. Yeah, I love it. Well, Natalie, I wish we could kind of talk forever, but, um, it is time to wrap up. I'm curious if there's anything, if there was one tangible step or or a couple different options that people could do after listening to this, if they, if they want to get on top of their family finances or start working with a planner, is there one tangible step that you think, um, would be helpful?
2: Yeah. Um, it's hard to narrow it down to just one. So I might have to give a couple, I'll make them quick. I promise. (laughs) Um, I would say like getting in touch with what your values are. Um, If you want to use the values exercise that I created, that's a great way to do it. Excuse me. Um, But getting in touch with that and taking that approach into your finances, I find that that really helps couples get on the same page. Mm -hmm. And as individuals, it's really a good guiding light. It's really a good like center stone for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, And just taking an honest look at your finances. I think Megan was such a great um leader in that an example in that of saying like here's where I was and these are the decisions I made mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that they were the best decisions but I made them and mm-hmm. here's how they sorted out mm-hmm. I think having that like honest um look at where your finances are and and thinking about where you want them to be and then honing in on a few key goals like I always tell people don't work on more than usually like two or three goals at mm-hmm. a time I never say work on one at a time just because in in life like we we have to be able to work on more than one at a time but usually anywhere from two to four okay is the right amount of goals to pick Mm -hmm. to choose to work on because if you pick too many you're really not going to see progress Mm -hmm. anywhere and if you only pick one then you're going to probably miss out on some investment returns etc so balancing two to four goals at once um so pick your goals and figure out okay what am I going to work on yeah um
0: yeah. I love that. And if somebody wanted to find a local certified financial planner, I is there is there a way to do that or is this one of those like ask around, talk to your friends and trial and error type of thing?
2: You know, um asking around is always a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um and but you can go on the CFP Board website and okay. I believe that they have a directory of all CFPs and you can look Okay, in we'll your link area. to that
0: in the in the show notes as awesome. well. Awesome. So,
2: I think that's a good place to start. And then there are some organizations like um, XY Planning Network. Okay. Um. So they they serve generally Gen X and Gen Y. Okay. Um. And they're an association of a bunch of, um, individual CFP financial okay. planners that have their own little practices. So they're okay. not a big company. Just, they're like right. a, just an like association. a database kind
0: of or yeah, like an association.
2: Okay. They're generally more digitally savvy. They generally don't have investment minimums. They're generally going to be doing fee only financial planning. Uh huh. So if that's what you're looking for, that can be a good option.
0: That's really helpful too. Um, Yeah, really helpful. Oh my gosh, this is so great, Natalie. Thank you so much for the generosity with all of your um, thoughts and tips and ideas. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for our listeners, you guys know we are at themomhour.com. You're just going to look for this interview in our Voices series with Natalie Taylor, and we will link up how to find Natalie online, how to get that values toolkit and other things we mentioned. But while we're here, Natalie, why don't you just say the name of your website again and how to follow you on Instagram and all of that so everybody's got it.
2: Sure. So I'm at um, NatalieAnnTaylor.com. It's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-A-N-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. Very boring spelling, so it I know. Be easy to I'm find. a Sarah
0: Jane Powers, so I like. Yeah. I feel you on the. I married <laughs> into a more common last name. My maiden name was a little like less less common, but I feel you.
2: <laughs> Likewise, I was an Adcock before, okay. which was not great. Yeah. Um, and then um, on Instagram, I'm at Money. Okay. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much. And um, we just appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This was super fun. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug.
1: That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data.
0: Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code TheMomHour. Go to Erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K E R I K A dot A P P and use code the mom hour to save 20%.
1: Hi everyone. Megan here, Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening and leave the mom hour, a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us. And it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.